Well, we are fortunate today to have a special guest on the show, calling in from the UK, and I'd like to welcome guitarist extraordinaire Steve Hackett to the best radio you have never heard, where I may add you are no stranger and to say a fan favorite. From your work with Genesis to your prolific career would be an understatement. Well, I'm very nice to talk to you, Perry. Uh, in that moment, let's talk about you know the solo career and Genesis, and in the sense that it's just been a prolific career. And more than any of your former bandmates, you really seem to be uh, running the hardest campaign towards being the hardest working man in the music business and cranking out, it seems like, almost a couple of year, you know, which includes the live packages, the studio albums, and the total has got to be what at this point? Well into the 30s? Uh, it, it depends whether you include the Genesis stuff, and it depends if you include uh, the various live albums I've done. But if you include all of that, then it's somewhere between 50 and 60 albums. Wow. Um, but then if it's just studio stuff, uh, apparently it's officially the 24th. But, you know, I, I'd have to uh, sit back and count all of those myself, to be honest. I, I, I long, long ago gave up counting how many there have been, but you're right, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep up the uh, the campaign for uh, getting as much music um, as possible whilst keeping up the uh, the quality control, so it's not just any old, um, any old stuff, uh, there's a lot of selection that goes on. I'm working with Roger King, the guy who engineers the albums, he's also very picky about uh, stuff, so um, he doesn't let me get away with a lot. Which brings us right around to your new one, Beyond the Shrouded Horizon, which you've managed to put out in a year's time since the last one, which was 2010's Out of the Tunnel's Mouth, despite logging in some heavy time on the road in the past 12 months. Yeah, well, there have been a, a number of things that, were, um, that I was working on in tandem. Um, I, I started working on some of this stuff um, about three or four years ago, and um, meanwhile there were other albums which, uh, which were released in, in in the interim so it's a bit like working on a number of canvases a number of different albums that have all their own style and plus also some collaboration with chris squire of yes and uh son and phillips plus you know a lot of the english uh, guys who are on uh, this record so it's it's not as if Everything that you're hearing was 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 recorded this year, and quite a lot of it was. But um, I I often start things and then I let them germinate over a period of time, go back to them, uh, and I find starting work on something and then leaving it for a while usually allows me, you know, that facility where you record an album, and then a few years later you think, ah, what did it really need? I know what it needed. I needed to change that drum sound, you know. So. Um, you know, much as it pains me to do so, uh, often that's a very, it's a very healthy uh, way of working, I think. You go back to something, you know, you don't see the wood for the trees when you're working on on an album. You know, you're kind of flying the flag for all the ideas and uh, you exhaust yourself just trying to get uh, the main things done, I find. But then, you know, you pull back from it and you think, well, okay, if I wasn't a fan of this, you know, what what would it take to make it, stick in the memory of somebody who perhaps was undecided about what they liked of my stuff or if they liked it at all 
Well, in this whole range of stuff, you've got so many things going. Have you taken the path of home studio? How'd you go about recording all of this stuff in so many different places over so much different time? The last one specifically, working a little bit, getting the tracks down in the studio, and then the home studio for the remainder of it. It seems like with that sort of on and off working kind of thing, that having the ability to, uh, you know, to go from bedroom to basement would be the the way yeah. that you like working at the moment. Well, I tell you what I, what I've done um, over time. I found that the studio will give you one thing, and then a home environment will give you another. And a part of this was put together in 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 a log cabin at one point. And you know, out of town log cabin in the woods, that sort of uh, aspect. You know, that can that can produce a different kind of uh, effect. It's not the same kind of thing as working in a fully professional studio. But it's a bit like making a film with a second camera unit that's uh, that's there in order to pick up you know, different atmospheres that uh, surrounding the project. So you can truly relax and and experiment with different things. I find environments do affect the work considerably. Well, and then you have to borrow a phrase: the heat of the moment factor. Where when the when the mood strikes, there you go. Let's let's take a second. Yeah. I go back. Uh, you mentioned Chris Squire. And this has mm-hmm. uh, been an on and off thing with you for the last recent past. Is this right. is this the Squawket project that has been talked about well, so much, or is there is this just the first taste of it? Chris has worked on the record, and there's going to be more forthcoming, which will be a more right. formal gathering of the two of you. Yeah, uh, there is something else coming. Um, we we're doing a deal right now with a record company. Hopefully, it'll all get signed and we'll get the thing out there. But um, in the meantime. Um, I've worked some, on some stuff of his. He's worked on some stuff of mine. He was on Tunnel's Mouth. He's also on Shrouded Horizon. So he's he's on that. All I can say is, you know, uh, when you do solo work, it's speedy in that you've only really got to negotiate with yourself. It's different when you're working in a in a partnership, a project. You know, you've got to satisfy everyone's everyone's needs. So I think the deal. With Chris, we put together the stuff very easily, as it happens. You know, we just did it as an extension of friendship. I don't think we really... We didn't want to try too hard with this stuff. We wanted it to be natural. So, you know, if he felt strongly about something, I would normally say, yeah, I think you're right, Chris. You know, there's no no point having a sort of battle of the giants over this this stuff. And um, uh, the more I added, Chris was usually happy with it. He might sometimes suggest that there might be a different order of events that went on with songs, but not the actual detail uh, that was within them. You know, that seemed to be natural, as he's a bit of a detail freak, and, and so am I. We both like vocal harmonies, and uh, I, I love his bass sound, of course. Who doesn't? But, you know, we've, we've got a number of different situations on, on this particular current album. Uh, there's Nick Beggs on bass as well plus Dick Driver, who plays orchestral bass, you know, the upright version. So uh, we have that, the bowed bass on the orchestral sections. And that makes a fabulous noise, and they all do something slightly different, these guys. So, I mean, Chris is just walking in, and he's pretty much on this round uh, doing the logical thing, and it's helping out with the arrangements. It seems that the writing part has been left to the brothers Hackett and Roger King. Uh, for the most part, even though Steve Howe does make an uh, appearance as a, in a writing credit a couple of times. That's right, yeah. 
And I wonder, is that stuff that has just come together recently? Is it stuff that's been knocking around since GTR? It does include my favorite, which is the closer, uh, the Turn the Island right. Earth. Right, okay. Uh, now that, um, there was something that was rehearsed up with GTR, but it, it didn't, it, it was a section that didn't really find a home. It was a killer riff that Steve Howe came up with, with, with Jonathan Mover, and we rehearsed it. But we didn't have a song for it. We just knew that it was a great bit. And all those years later, I thought, I've got to use this and develop it, take it further. So that's what I've done. So, you know, that riff appears in, in, in Prairie Angel. Uh, it also appears in Terminus Island Earth. And you hear it in a sort of rock context with a rock band playing it. But then it, it goes on to orchestral textures doing doing the same thing and working with whole tones and developing it in a, in a more... Um, kind of um, extravagant manner. Uh, one more thing about the things that are going on in your future, working with Chris Squire. You have another singer who doesn't have a band at the moment that I think would fit right in well with you, and that would be John Anderson. Have any overtures been right. made to have him sing on any of your tracks? Uh, well, I've never worked with John. Um, I, I met him a few times um, in the past. You know, we'd bump into each other at the old wedding or or uh, a canteen, and I'd always like this singing very much. It's highly uh, individual style, idiosyncratic style, and um, I I like that whole idea of his voice floating over the top of things, you know, with a lot of reverb on it, and um, and that kind of uh, almost the sort of presiding angel kind of feeling about it. And he did a lot of great work with Yes. Uh, no one has tried to uh, to put us together. You know, who who knows? Maybe one day there might might be uh, something. But um, at the moment, I'm enjoying singing myself, and I I I do enjoy the other styles of other singers and what they're what they're capable of. Um, but you know, we all explore our own areas. Sometimes it's shoring up an area that's not been strong in the past. So I'm enjoying the possibility of singing with with as much emotion in the voice as I can get into the uh, guitar. You know, tracks like A Place Called Freedom, uh, where I'm borrowing from country music and folk music, borrowing very heavily from America. Uh, that appeals greatly, the idea of going at it like a character actor. But, as you say, you know, John Anderson, great singer, who knows one day, might be something. I saw her on the plains I watched her through the rain On a buffalo dog Running barefoot through the corn
Well, you know, you mentioned, you know, you hear some of this and you hear some of that. And that's one thing in this record, more than any of yours in the recent past. Uh, what I'm hearing is uh, you're almost leaving breadcrumbs behind for people to follow the path, things that have links to certain things that you've done. And I almost find it comforting when listening to a new record that you get to hear little bits of stuff that somebody's saying, hey, I'm still here. Uh, and there is a little bit. Oh. I've, he- I've heard stuff that is uh, from the acoustic live set from as long as 30 years ago. I hear mm-hmm. um, there is strains of Please Don't Touch in Waking Life. Catwalk could be yep. the B-side to Stillwater uh, from Out of the Tunnels sure. Mouth and the Egyptian mm-hmm. influence and Two Faces of Cairo. I am hearing riffs from Riding the Scree from the Lamb in there that I guess I am not the only mm-hmm. person that has heard. Sure. Well, you know, it's it, sometimes you you um, it's like uh, how can I put it? It's like uh, there's a nod to the past in in some of the things I do. Other things, I think, well, you know, they would develop in in in, in different ways, and I think. When these things were done in the past, they were done to the standard that, that everyone was capable of at that time. But I try not to work rework material too much, but occasionally uh, there's a sense of I haven't fully explored that chord or I haven't fully explored those harmonies. I'll, I'll do that, you know, when there's an oriental influence, like Please Don't Touch, for instance, uh, with a kind of pentatonic scale. But it, there's something... There's something about Please Don't Touch and there's something about Waking to Life that I, I wanted to take the Japanese influence on further. There's a, a Japanese traditional tune called Sakura Sakura and I really used that on Waking to Life. We we started with the idea of, of um, Indian, almost raga rock style with the influence of uh, the Beatles and Monsoon and uh, various other bands uh, not using real sitar as such, but uh, sitar guitar uh, processed and twinned with other things to make it sound authentic. And then, you know, that Eastern influence wanders into, you know, from one ex- exotic locale to another. So um, and there's also a nod to the psychedelic era uh, with all of that, where music was allowed to be weird and wacky. And, uh, you know, growing up in the 60s, uh, where I think the shackles were off music for the first time, where uh, there was an aspect of anything goes. And, and individuals were, were free thinking at that time. You know, it could be anything as long as it was pretty kind of outlandish. And, um, and that sometimes produced very good work. And other times you felt that people were just trying to, um, you know, live up to the image of the zeitgeist of, of, of the time and not always... Uh, pulling it off. There's a lot of embarrassing stuff from the 60s as well, but the really good stuff, I feel, uh, had parallels with uh, atonal jazz and the more experimental stuff that was going on in other forms. So I try and borrow from everywhere and steer a course that makes it, you know, uh, uh, familiar shores, but the sea might be might be choppy and um, that might not be a, a, a familiar path through those um, uh, through those uh, places in the distance.
Well, I certainly I hear it, and, and I'll, I'll reflect back on something that you said, that you get a very travelogue kind of feel to it, that there is a journey. And I also kind of felt, with all the orchestration, it, it had a very cinematic feel to it. I felt like I was almost in a, a Hitchcock movie at times and going from one exotic locale to the next. And that, that really plays itself out, and it does so without trampling or recycling the past it's all connected together with things that sound very familiar but they sound like they're you're listening to a steve hackett record there's no question about it yeah it, it's funny that isn't it um i'm not um i'm not always looking for originality but i am looking for authenticity so i i think that if you feel something uh, yourself uh, chances are it'll find its echo it'll find its audience it'll find a resonance with other with other people now, as much as all of a sudden you're getting really back into gear, I'm guessing you're going to get out and want to play this one live. Your stops over here, over on this side of the lake, mm-hmm. in the past couple of years are getting a little far and fewer in between, but we're hoping to see a, more, a little bit more of you and the electric band getting over here in, in, in playing. The last round, so. yeah, the last round with the Tunnel Tour was mm-hmm. a kind of a strange incarnation, being the double bill with the Renaissance. Tell us, yeah. how, how did that work out in the end with the double headliner and the shifting of the opening and the closing spots every night? And how does that all work when your truck breaks down at the airport? Oh, uh, well, you know, we decided we were going to do that. We were going to work with them. Uh, we both had six-piece bands, so the changeover was, was tricky um, at times. It, it really challenged the crew, but we did a number of things. We did a number of festivals, we did a number of... Uh, shows together and um, you know sometimes we uh, moved it around so that you know sometimes we were opening sometimes they were opening and you know I was very flexible about that I felt that, that it was I felt that it was a good combination and I enjoyed working with Annie Haslam who was you know very sweet to work with and I might be doing something with one of the guys in in, in, uh, in her band because I've been doing a little bit of, of, of working with other people, people like Stephen Wilson from um, Porcupine Tree, uh, Rob Reed from a band called Magenta. I've appeared on both those uh, projects. Another guy called Gary Husband, who plays keyboards with John McLaughlin and sometimes plays drums with Level 42. He's a very clever all-rounder. I've also been working on some stuff with, with Nick Beggs, who's been working on an album with a guy called John Young. And that's really spectacular stuff. All of these projects have got something very interesting to offer. So I'm lucky that I've got friends who are coming up with very interesting work at this this point in, in uh, their lives. I suspect all of them have done their commercial thing. And now they're at the point where they just want to have fun with music. And uh, so there's a kind of pool of musicians, all of whom seem to enjoy working together. And we all seem to be getting a tremendous amount of press at the moment, which, which is lucky because, you know, you can go through whole decades where your, your flavor of the month, then your, your plague, box and office plague, and, other, and, and then it comes around again, and, it, and it's very seasonal, I think, this business. And uh, if there was any advice I was going to give to any younger players who thought they'd done a great album and it didn't set the world alight, you just got to keep coming back and playing the tables it's so important to uh, to not let the business retire you, but if you always go back to the, the gaming table, um, you will succeed in the end. You've just got to. The law of averages will, will work for you. Uh, you've just got to be tenacious and hang in there. 
one of the things um, that I would be remiss if I didn't talk about before I let you go was some of the world of Genesis in the past. And I got a couple of things mm-hmm. I think the listeners would be interested in, and I'm interested yeah. in well. And one of the things I wanted yeah. to bounce off you is at the very beginning, the band had yeah. lost Anthony Phillips. Phil had auditioned and got the job replacing John Mayhew. The band actually played as a four-piece for a while with Tony Banks covering the mm-hmm. guitar parts. And then Peter Gabriel answered your Melody Maker ad. And I'd yeah. like to know about the audition that followed. I was living at home at the time uh, with my parents, and I played Genesis about three different ideas of tunes that I had because they were very interested in getting a writer. And even then, I was heading towards a kind of pan-genre approach. So uh, Peter Gabriel and Tony Banks came over to the flat, played through some things with my brother. So we presented things like a duo, really, John was playing flute, and he was very good on flute um, at that time, so I was able to write some pastoral things for flute, uh, which they liked, and I was playing jazz tone electric with that. Then we played them something which was atonal and much more jarring, and then I think we played a blues thing where I was playing some blues harmonica and um, just to show the range of, of styles. And I think two of the, the styles were kind of anathema to them. But the pastoral thing was what clinched it, the fact that I could do that and the fact that I was a 12-string fan and as much of a fan of the acoustic guitar as I was the electric. So um, I, I was flexible and, and eclectic in my tastes then. I think that's what got me the gig, the fact that I would be happy not to always work with guitar heroics, but perhaps work in a more supportive role. And we did a lot of arpeggiated 12-string work in those days. And we were big fans of of Joni Mitchell, uh, Mike Rutherford in particular. So I did a two-tier audition, really, uh, one of them with Pete and Tony, and then, you know, Pete said that you should really meet um, our other guitarist, Mike Rutherford. So I, I, I met him and I kind of auditioned with him and straight away we started swapping chord shapes because we liked, we liked to invent our own, own chords. So uh, there seemed to be a natural, a natural harmony between all of us in those, in those early days. So I think that's what clinched it for me. The fact was I was not just an electric guitarist. I wasn't just a blues guitarist or just a rock guitarist. I had aspirations in these other in these other areas. And I think the band at that time was doing as much acoustic music as they were rock. So uh, that made for some very delicate um, uh, decisions live. You know, audiences often used to shout us down when we did the quiet stuff because they wanted to rock and boogie. Uh, just like most uh, um, uh, live audiences do, but what we were doing it predated the unplugged approach.
that you went in so you're green lighted into the band what was the state of the catalog of like unrecorded material what was the, the pre-production situation like going into nursery crimes was it a kind of a blank slate because i know you guys really kind of like to write in the studio during rehearsal you know there was some stuff knocking around that anthony phillips and mike rutherford had the manipulation thing that would turn into musical box but was there more pre-written stuff knocking about that you had to fit yourself into or did you really start from square one writing the nursery crimes record by the time you had joined what was going on then well most of it was um most of it was written for that album uh, over the course of a summer um we found we couldn't really write on the road together that didn't seem to happen and you know we were still trying to sort of suss each other out um some things were already written but then i added parts to things and um the deal with genesis was that um the moment you joined, you were a fully-fledged um, writing partner uh, because they considered the detail to be as important as as the songs themselves. And I think that was a very mature um, way of, of, of working. Uh, unusual. Most bands don't do that kind of thing, but it encouraged everyone to give of their best. Yes, I think, you know, Musical Box was largely written by the time I, I joined. They were already performing it live, but then... I wanted to add my ideas to that. I think it had some of the, the nicest guitar work on it. And I'd also come up with tapping during the course of live gigs. I had an idea of, of, of playing the guitar in a different way, so I was able to explore that on, um, on one of the instrumental sections. Now, there was also something we did a track. The closing track was Fountain of Samarsis. We just acquired a Mellotron. Uh, I remember in the corner one day, uh, Tony was experimenting with something that was to become the introduction, uh, two-handed keyboard playing, you know, one hand on the organ, one hand on the Mellotron. And I said, oh, that sounds re- really nice. And he said, oh, it exists in another song. And I said, well, did that other song ever get recorded? And he said, no, uh, maybe to a demo standard, I'm not sure. But I said, I, well, I think we should use that. That sounds really good. Uh, so I, I tried to sort of um, act as kind of um, um, a catalyst as much as, anything else and to try and draw the best out of the people I was working with so I was happy to work as as a sort of kind of 
in in-house enthusiast i think it's important i think bands need glue because otherwise it, everything is competition and that's uh, that's not a healthy way of working either. So um, I, I like to think that when I work with people, I get the best out of them. So um, certainly think there were some very fine moments on that first uh, Genesis album.
Well, and concerning that music, one of the things, I'm just really glad that you've embraced the catalog, the stuff that you've worked on, the things that you've written on, and you continue playing them in the live show. Pete? I do that, yes. You know, Pete and Phil, who have been probably out touring as much as anybody over the years really haven't, but it really is great to have you come out and play those songs, interpret them in a way that you see fit, and to hear things like uh, this, you know, you could hear the solo to Firtha Fifth uh, every day of the week and, and not cry about it. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the band also we've been doing a, a version of Water of the Skies and um, that has been sounding really good been working on a DVD that has that uh, mixed in 5.1 uh, amongst other things, so it's wonderful to have that start up and uh, you know, not just have the Mellotron at the beginning, but also modern samples with it to make that slightly smoother and slightly more orchestral uh, as well as all those early sounds uh, but then to have it in surround sound, um, it feels wonderful. You know, it, it's everything that it um, that it perhaps should always have been. I mean, I've even recorded that with an orchestra when I did Genesis Revisited. So um, I do very much enjoy uh, the early work, and I enjoy reinterpreting that. And it's part of what I do.
I love the way that Bill Bruford has taken the rhythm on the Genesis Revisited version and turned it into the complicated whatever rhythm that was and did it in a downright shuffle. And he's, I think, the only guy on the face of the earth that could do that and get away with it. Yeah, he did a very good job on that. Um, it, was, it was very unusual, but I think the production was really was really good on that. And, uh, and John Wetton did a fine job on the vocals on that track and on third or fifth but you know when we do it live uh, Gary uh, Gary O'Toole who's drumming with with the band he does a great job of both drumming and singing and you'd think that would be impossible because, because to have a, a you know a, a rhythm that's in 6-4 and then to be able to sing across it in the way that, it, that, that he does uh, it's, it's uh, extraordinary extraordinary to be able to do all those things at once but he manages to do it and um, and does a great job uh, on, on one last last bit here, and the question that you've been asked to death a million times, I'm going to try to rephrase it in a different manner, uh-huh. is the future ever have a five-man reunion of the Genesis band? And the twist to this question I'm going to ask you is now, how are you answering that question with a couple of things that are looming very large? And the first is Phil's injury and his inability yeah. to drum and maybe the fact that he never will again. And then more... Mm-hmm. Interestingly, Peter Gabriel's quotes in the most recent issue of Rolling Stone, where I think it is the first time anybody has ever cornered him and hammered him on this question. Mm -hmm. And reading the piece, and I don't know if you have or not, you could practically hear Peter squirming through the pages of the magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I've always said that, you know, from from my point of view, um, 
if there's a gig, you know, have guitar, we'll travel. But I, I've been saying that for quite some time, so it could be a little bit like the second coming, you know, uh, is it ever going to really happen? And obviously, um, uh, the health issues that you've mentioned uh, with Phil obviously will play a part in that. But I know that Pete was really keen on... on um, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, um, being done as some kind of musical. In this same article, Sorry? in this same article, yeah. he said yeah. that he actually considered a tour with Fish, and that's Fish with a PH, mm. of singing mm. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway at one point. Really? Um, which. <laughs> well, who knows? Um, you I'm, know, I, I think, um, you know, I mean, he, he might be serious about that. On, on, on the other hand, he, he may be. Um, that might be a populist uh, statement. Um, he concluded by saying know. that he didn't think that was probably yeah. going to happen, obviously. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, yes. I mean, from my point of view, I think that, you know, there'll be an involvement in in, 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 in some way, you know, with, with Genesis stuff in, in future. Um, Every now and again, as I say, I, I re-record those things or reinterpret it or do it in a different way. Um, uh, great music is great music, and um, I don't preclude any of the ideas, frankly. I think it's important to draw a distinction between what's a band and what's a solo career, and the attraction of a solo career is anytime someone asks me if I want to do something, they'll get an answer straight away. Uh, as soon as you have a band, you have the danger of... of uh, the power of veto and um, uh, phase cancellation. It's much, it's much more difficult to get all those people to agree on something. You know, uh, who knows? The interviewer's idea of Genesis may not be the same as, uh, you know, the guys who've carried the banner for, for much longer. You know, my idea of Genesis is, you know, a bunch of guys who played uh, music that was highly detailed and quite complex at times. And the fans that loved that, that music, quite disenfranchised by what the band became, which was obviously a very successful band that was around during the video era. Now I think there's a return to live concerts, and uh, videos themselves don't have as much kudos. Hit singles don't have as much kudos. It seems to be back to the idea of, of live performance. And I, I've, I've always backed that particular horse. I love performing live, and that's what I do. And as much of uh, the past that I can face delivering, I will do. But, you know, for me at this point in time, the proportions are a third new material, one-third classic stuff of my own and uh, earlier stuff, and one-third Genesis at the moment. Um, other than that, you know, uh, I cannot contemplate. I've, I've, I've made it obvious to people. I, I've, I've said publicly uh, and privately, I've said to one, I'm up for it. If there's a reunion, uh, if you want to involve me, fair enough. And they called me some years ago and I said, okay. Um, and then uh, that didn't happen. And um, uh, all I could do is, is, is say, yeah, I'd show willing for that. If, uh, if, if the guys think we can all work together, then fine. You know, it's... Um, I'm not standing in the way of it. I don't think I've ever had a problem with that. Not for many years. 
at this point, here's my point of view on it. There is a great catalog. We've enjoyed the music of Genesis. We enjoy each and every one of the solo members' recordings and uh, seeing them play live. At this point, if the five of you get together on stage and play live and we can go see it, it'll all be gravy in all of our lives. Yeah, uh, that might that might happen. Uh, there might be a musical. It's all the might-be's. You need everyone's sanction, you know. It's it's not as easy to do what you did once as a 21-year-old. I have no problem. I can still play all those songs. I'm a better guitarist now than I was then. I have infinitely more technique, but I still have all the passion for the for the early stuff. So, yes, I'm I'm up for it. I'm not the guy you've got to convince, believe me. But I think there's a perception within the band that's different from the perception from the outside. You know, it's like, you know, what, what is the true genesis? And we've all got our own ideas about what that, uh, what that actually is. Uh, I hope to be able to influence that decision one day, but um, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hold your breath on this one. I think those were exactly Pete's words. It was something to the effect of, uh, the good betting man is not going to take this one. And on that yeah. one, on that one, I think I'm going to let you go. It's been just a blast sure. talking to you. I'm so glad yep. that uh, we hooked up. I hope that we're, you know that you keep doing what you're doing, and the records keep coming, and sure. we keep playing them, and they get to go see the shows. I thanks again for being here on the best radio that Thank you've you. ever heard. I think we're going to go out with some of your music, and I think I'll go out with the closer from the new one, Beyond the Shrouded Horizon, and it's. Uh, a song that you uh, include Chris Squire in is called Turn the Island Earth. And Steve Hackett, well, thank you for joining us. We'll see you. Thank you. Ship of fire, our ladders, ladder pouring down the Milky Way. Big dipper roller coaster.
Oh, 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 oh,